resolve in your hearts that you're willing to live with whatever the truth is, no matter what the consequences are. And what you'll find is that that truth will uh, actually liberate you. It will not make you bring you into bondage. Mm. Welcome back to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. This is the second hour with Dr. Weichart, who is a professor, the professor of modern European history at California State University. He is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. And we have been talking for the last hour about Marxism, eugenics, the family structure, and and why anarchists actually believe that once they achieve their utopia, that the government will disappear. Dr. Weichart, thank you so much for being with us in the second hour. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we we were in our conversation, you were saying how capitalism isn't the greatest system, but it's better than all the others. And you were also saying how how these Marxists, how they believe that once they reach this anarchist utopia where there is no police, where we have perfect socialism, that the government just disappears. Now, my question is, is it just the people kind of in the lower ranks that think that, but really the people who are pulling all the strings know that the government is going to take everything over? Or or do they really all just believe that people are inherently good and if we get rid of all systems how how does that how do you even get rid of all systems i mean isn't everything that we do parts of systems the way we communicate isn't that part of a system what what happens when we try to deconstruct all systems what do we have left well, that's one of the reasons why Karl Marx himself was unwilling to sort of lay out a blueprint for what he thought the future society was going to look like. Uh, and that's one of the things he, he uh, criticized other socialists for doing. In fact, uh, he and, uh, and Engels uh, characterized other socialists like Robert Owens, like uh, Charles Fourier in France uh, and others as being utopian socialists. And the reason they called them utopian socialists was because they thought that they were uh, setting up these utopian utopian systems. Uh, and Marx thought, we don't know what the future system is going to look like. Uh, we don't really, we can't really plan that out. So I think I, it, my sense of the matter is that a lot of them don't have a clear idea of what is actually going to replace uh, what is in, in position right now. But they have, again, this complete faith in humanity on the one hand, which it, Again, there's kind of a bizarre uh, irony here because, in fact, they consider anyone who opposes them evil. Uh, but they have this faith in humanity. The humanity is basically good and that we'll sort it out. We'll get it figured. You know, we'll figure it out. and We'll be able to live in harmony and peace if we just uh, uh, can uh, get rid of you know, private property. I was talking with a uh, quite a few years ago. I was talking to a, a colleague who uh, was of the Marxist persuasion about uh, you know, getting rid of private property. And he thought that was going to solve all the problems. And, and I tried to point out to him that, you know, you know, once you, once everyone has an abundance, to, he thought it was going to lead to an abundance of material goods. And so there's not going to be anything to fight about anymore. I said, look, you know, there's all sorts of things that humans fight about that have nothing to do with, you know, uh, scarcity of goods. I mean, in fact, sometimes it's just the opposite. Sometimes it's a person's using of their goods, like cranking up their stereo when you want quiet, for example, uh, that create conflict among humans. So, you know, just getting rid of, you know, all 
uh, getting rid of all uh, problems of poverty and scarcity. And let's say everyone has material abundance and stuff like that. It's not going to solve the human problem, the human dilemma. There's still going to be conflict over things. You're still going to be fighting over lots of different things. So, but, but in their world that, that they want to create, which is something that you continually point out in your book, The Death of Humanity, that they've essentially said that there is no God. And when there is no God, there is no moral underpinning and it leads to meaninglessness. And when everything is meaningless, there is, there is no objectivity between good and evil, right and wrong. As you previously mentioned, it all comes back down to power. It's who has power and who, who, or maybe as you said, the systems, what is the system of power and where has that supposedly come from? And so I guess where I'm trying to get is once you, where am I trying to get? I, 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 if they don't believe in good and evil, how can they even believe that man is inherently good? And at the same time, as you've said, they, they're painting a, a whole swath of people, whether it's the bourgeoisie or whether it's the white, cisgendered, male, Christian, able body. Like they're, they're painting these, these abstract moralities on a group and they're saying it's no longer based on your actions. It's based on your identity. How does that not lead to mass genocide? How, how, how does that not lead to genocide? Well, I think you're right. And this is about this irony or this really contradiction that's within uh, their views, because many of these people have been raised in a culture which has at least some uh, measure of Judeo-Christian values, and they latch onto certain of those values, uh, but then deny that values even exist, deny that you know, there is even such a thing as values. And, and Karl Marx is a great example of this. But again, there's many other thinkers we could look at as well. Uh, Marx denied that there was any such thing as objective morality. He believed that laws and politics and morality was all a tool of the bourgeoisie to oppress the proletariat and such. But, you know, it, if you look at the terminology that he uses in his writings, it's loaded with moral indignation. It's loaded with moral uh, judgments. Uh, He uses the word oppression quite frequently, which obviously has its morally loaded category. Uh, Oppression isn't just, you know, neither here nor there. Oppression is obviously talking about something that's evil. You know, you're obviously painting something as being evil at this, but at the same time, claiming that evil doesn't exist. So this is one of the things that I try to point out when I try to, uh, you know, engage with people who are Uh, embracing these kind of secular ideologies. It's one thing that I point out in Death of Humanity, that there are these inconsistencies that, you know, on the one hand, they claim that there's no such thing as objective morality. On the other hand, they take moral views and, uh, and they take them so seriously that they think that anyone that opposes them is evil. So how do they square that? And I don't, have a good answer to that either. And I just try to press them on it. I, I, when I was in graduate school, I had a fellow graduate student who was arguing for uh, relative morality and such. And, and I talked, he had a, a fairly young baby 
uh, and I asked him, you know, how are you going to raise your baby? Are you going to raise him to be an objective, uh, to be <laughs> rather to believe in subjective, relative morality, anything goes, you know, everything? And, and he said, well, uh, no, probably not. <laughs> and so I said, well, doesn't that sort of indicate to you something about the problems in your worldview? And he said, well, it's still true which I don't know why he believed in truth anyway. He still thought his worldview was correct, accurate, whatever. Uh, so again, that's another, by the way, <laughs> problem with it, that uh, there's no truth except that there's no truth, right? So, uh, so you get this kind of uh, contradiction in there as well. That is, that is such a contradiction in, in, this, whole, in this whole worldview. And it, it's, it's moved you know, far beyond... Uh, just liberal and conservative right now, especially what we're seeing in America. But it it hasn't just it's not just in America. I mean, if and you write about it in your book, um, these ideas in Europe are a decade or more ahead of what we're seeing right now in America with with eugenics, with euthanasia, with abortion laws. It's just it's just moving so fast and it's, it's spreading everywhere in the world. And so in, in closing, my question to you would be for, for an individual who has, you know, some, they believe in God or maybe they don't, but whether they do or not, if they're struggling with meaninglessness, they're struggling with purposelessness. I mean, this generation probably more than any generation has been searching for purpose. They want to leave a, an impact on their life. They want to do something that's purposeful and meaningful and they're searching, but it doesn't seem like anyone's actually finding purpose and meaning. They're not actually finding that fulfillment that they're looking for, at least not in the conversations that I'm having. What would be the antidote to these ideologies that lead to the celebration of suicide that lead to this, the, the celebration of, of nothingness. What is the, the antidote to all this that, that we need to step into so that we can begin to combat these ideas and shape tomorrow for, for a future that is more hopeful? Well, I think if people try to get in touch with their own consciences, I think that could help for one thing. Um, You know, Bertrand Russell was a very famous philosopher in the 20th century, and it's remarkable some of the things that he wrote in private letters that were seemed fairly contrary to some of the things that he was saying publicly, or at least maybe not totally contradictory, but uh, sort of give a different way of looking at his life. I mean, he, Bertrand Russell, deep down from the correspondence that he wrote, knew that there was meaning and purpose and significance in life, even though mentally he denied it. Intellectually, he just denied it, said there's no such thing as meaning purpose. So I think people who understand deep down in their hearts that there is meaning and purpose and significance to their life, and they realize that there's meaning, purpose, and significance to other people's lives, and that's why they value them. That's mm. why they you know, have they care about them. That's why they don't want them to die of COVID-19. That's why they don't want them to die in genocide. That's why they don't want them to be uh, treated ill uh, in racist encounters. That's why they, you know, if people start asking, why do I value Mm. these other people? 
I think that they can realize they should realize that maybe the intellectual constructs that they have in their heads, you know, don't correspond with reality. And maybe that's why. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the intellectual constructs we're talking about here, you know, constructs that, again, these things we've talked about, the, the idea that the universe is just the product of blind chance. Maybe that's a wrong idea. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to reject that idea, both on scientific grounds. We don't have time to get into all that. But uh, just on the idea that, you know, there is meaning and purpose in life. And I think most people recognize that if they think carefully and then look carefully uh, around themselves at, at what they believe about their own life and what they believe about the lives of the people that they love and that are dear to them. So I think if we start focusing on those things and start trying to think about does our philosophy fit reality that I, we experience in these ways, mm. uh, then we could sort of launch into a search for, well, what is the right answer to this? Now, personally, as a theist and as a Christian theist, I believe that the answers are uh, found there ultimately. Uh, but you can start off on the journey toward that by asking your, yourself, uh, does my worldview comport with the, my understanding, my conscience, my inner understanding mm. of what it means to be a human? I love that answer because the way you articulated that's so true. It's we have these intellectual constructs and frameworks in our head that we kind of spat off and then we we wind up wondering why we're depressed or why we are suicidal, why we believe that with every breath that we take, we're, you know, wasting oxygen and it would be better off if we're dead. Um, but that, that seems to conflict with these deep emotions um, within us that seems to conflict with our our care for our family and our friends it it conflicts with our our desire to survive and live um and i just think it's a really brilliant answer to turn to our conscious to turn to the things that we inherently within us not within necessarily within our intellect but within our our hearts are, are convicted about what's right and wrong or what what we actually love and looking at those things rather and, and, and seeing do these does what I experience in my world line up with the things that I say is true within my worldview. The other thing I would say too along those lines is that we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to bring my life into uh, harmony with whatever is really the truth. Mm. Julian Huxley uh, in the 1930s uh, wrote a, a brilliant piece where he uh, said that in his youth, he had rebelled against notions about God and, and sexual morality and things. And he said the reason that he and, and many of his peers did that was because they wanted sexual freedom. You know, they wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and so I think we need to ask ourselves also the question, am so I willing to, you know, bring my life into harmony with reality if it doesn't comport with, you know, my wishes and my desires and what I want to do? I mean, I mean, that's such a great point because, as you said, a, a lot of this 
postmodern movement is this rejection of authority. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want any systems to control their lives. They want to, you know, have some sort of, they want to have anarchy where they can do whatever they want. The fruit of that is, is quite destructive. And if a person is in a place where they're experiencing those feelings of nihilism, those feelings of suicide, of depression, when they when they come back to their conscious and they move and they start to to pit the, the, their framework of their worldview against what they know to be true, it comes a point of, do I want to accept truth no matter what the cost? Because truth comes with a cost because authority comes with a cost. It means that the way that I live, it's accountable to something accountable to a morality outside of what I subjectively want or feel or want to say is true. And so if, if a person comes to grips in terms and says, well, actually I, I don't want to submit my life to truth. Is there an alternative for them? Well, the alternative is they make up their own truth, which is what we're being told in the postmodern circles that that's what you do. You just make up your own truth and then you can do whatever you want to do. But there's no alternative essentially to the meaningless of their life because they've – because meaning is found in truth is what I hear you saying, that you have to submit to what is true in order to find the meaning and wholeness and purpose that you're searching for in your life. Exactly. Now, interestingly, some people uh, like Jerry Coyne, for example, a prominent atheist uh, thinker today, uh, have argued that we can give our own lives meaning. We don't have to, you know, when we talk about meaning in life, most people, when they talk about the word meaning in life or finding meaning in life or talking about something objective, something outside of ourselves. But a lot of uh, secular thinkers are trying to redefine this idea about meaning in life, saying, well, we give ourselves meaning in life. But then the word itself gets altered. It doesn't really mean the same thing as what most people are would take it when they're talking about is there meaning, is there purpose and such. Mm. So then, so how would you combat that? If, if someone said, well, I'm going to find my own meaning. I don't want to submit myself to any sort of authority or higher morality. I'm going to find my own meaning. I'm going to, you know, find what's true to me like where where is that wrong well it conflicts with reality so you're going to end up bumping into reality at some point because the what you find as you know again simply i mean taking the example of foucault you know foucault ended up dying because of his actions uh mm-hmm. and yes uh you know Acts of immorality do tend to lead to bad consequences. Again, you can't say across the board that this happens, but acts of immorality do lead to bad consequences. So eventually you're going to bump into reality. Reality is going to strike you and it may not be death like a Foucault's case, but it may be impoverishment. It may be uh, bad relationships with other people. It may be other kinds of things, but you know, your, uh, your, your immoral behaviors will eventually bump into reality. I love that phrasing, bumping into reality. And I think if anyone's probably in that that place, they are they are bumping into reality. If they're asking those questions, if they're being acutely aware of their pain and their suffering, they're bumping into reality in their life. I know for me personally, when, you know, in my marriage or in my parenting, when I'm, 
you know, I'm struggling, it's me bumping into reality, realizing that my lack of discipline or my my lack of focus, my lack of time management, I'm suffering the consequences of me fudging on reality, thinking that I can actually get away with something in my life when reality is going to come knocking at some point or another, whether it's from the way that we eat or exercise or not exercise, we are all going to bump into truth and reality at some point in the near future. Dr. Reichart, thank you so much. Where can we find you, your book, your information? I've just, I've, I loved reading your book, The Death of Humanity. Um, just story after story. I was aghast at um, how prevalent these ideas of of eugenics really is and and the path. Um, so where can people find you to learn more about your writing? Yeah, I don't have actually a central website, but I'd, I'd just suggest go. I have lectures on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and listen to some more of my talks that I've given at various places on different of my books, uh, as well as interviews and other things. So YouTube would be a good place to search my name uh, or uh, also uh, I guess just search Google. I do have a university website and it just lists some of my uh, accomplishments and such, but it doesn't give a whole list of all my stuff. So, And if you could give one final charge to the listeners, what would that be? Well, I would, I would say uh, sort of one of the closing things I'd said just a little bit ago was, you know, resolve in your hearts that you're willing to live with whatever the truth is, no matter what the consequences are. And what you'll find is that that truth will uh, actually liberate you. It will not make you bring you into bondage. Mm. Mm. That's so good. Dr. Reidhart, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. That is all for this interview with Dr. Reichardt, but we're going to take a few minutes and debrief uh, some of my thoughts from this conversation. Um, as I said, I, I read Dr. Reichardt's book, The Death of Humanity and a Case for Life, and I was just aghast at the the sort of ideologies that are out there. I mean, I've, you know, he talks about these you know, famous names of of people I know, like Robert Dawkins and and Foucault and Marx, and I, I feel like on the outside, I, I know like the shell of these people. Oh, I kind of know that guy or Steven Pinker. Oh, I know him. You know, he's been in some like really cool places or magazine or something. But I haven't like dove deep into the ideology or some of their statements, some of the things that these people have actually written deep within their manuscripts, deep within their studies and their works. And Dr. Reithart exposes so many of the, so much of the ideology and driving forces that are deep beneath the surface of Darwinism, of evolutionary biology, of the the idea that there is no God, there is no morality, there is no truth. And it is fascinating to me how time and time again, as we as we look through as we look through history, and we when we see these ideas emerge from one person to the next, they're coming to the same conclusion, which is that human life has no 
value. It has no meaning. It is meaningless and purpose, purposeless. We should, we should pursue suicide. We should pursue eugenics. We should, we should, it is immoral. Dr. Richard Dawkins says it is immoral not to abort a baby with Down syndrome, not to end their life. It's immoral. And it's, it's just, I'm constantly shocked at where all of this ends up, where it all leads. As we talked about in, in this episode, we started talking about the, the, the evolution of the family, how to totally abolish the family unit and why people want to abolish the family unit because the family unit is one of the clearest authority structures that we see in the earth. And it, it kind of fractals out. You have that family unit and then you have a community or a tribe where there's a leader of a tribe and then a leader of a, a city and a state and a nation. And it's, if you can destroy the ideology of authority, of leadership, of responsibility, because really leadership is responsibility. If someone is leading, that person can be held accountable. That person can be held responsible for the actions and the fruit of society around them. But if you do away with that, then, well, no one's responsible. And not only is no one responsible, but no one can be held responsible because there's no longer a moral law. There's no longer a moral code. There's no longer someone to say, hey, that was wrong. You need to be disciplined or you need to be charged or you need to be punished because what you did is immoral. It's a crime. And when you look at, as as Dr. Reichart said, when you look at what these groups and this ideology really want, it's anarchy. It is complete systemless society. It is complete uh, lack of any sort of authoritarian structure within the whole of society. Why would they want that? Well, as he said, it's because they want freedom. What Marx wanted was freedom. What, What people want is happiness and freedom, and they believe that if I am to be happy, I need to have the absolute freedom from any sort of rules or laws or morality. I want to be free to do whatever it is I want to do with my life, regardless of anyone else around me. Freedom. As he mentioned, Huxley, he wanted sexual freedom. Foucault, he wanted, he wanted freedom to live his life the way that he wanted without anyone telling him what to do or saying that there was any sort of consequences for his life. But we all bump into reality sooner or later. We all bump into the reality of our bad choices sooner or later. Unfortunately for Foucault, he thought that AIDS didn't exist. And then he bumped into AIDS. He thought that it was a myth. He thought it was a conspiracy theory, but he bumped into it. You and I, we can deny reality all we want, but sooner or later, we will bump into it. One thing that we've discussed previously here on the show is how so many of us are pursuing happiness. 
We want to be happy. I want to be happy. So we pursue happiness, but in our pursuit of happiness, we end up depressed. We end up despondent. We end up in purposelessness and meaninglessness and depression. We end up with anything but happiness. But, and and that's us running into reality when we say, I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what feels good regardless of the re- the rules, regardless of authority, regardless of values or morality, I'm going to do what feels good to me. We bump into reality and we reap those fruits of depression. And yet, when we pursue truth, when we pursue wisdom, we reap the benefits of those rewards. We reap wisdom. We, we, we reap happiness. We reap long life and riches when we pursue a right way to live, when we pursue morality, when we pursue the right way to treat other people. Crazy that it's crazy how how Freud said that the golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you is a is a bad way to live. I mean, just the, the total disregard for the simplest ideas of, of morality and where it leads. And then the last point that was brought up is truth. Is that you and I, once we bump into reality, are we willing to submit to reality? Are we willing to say, hmm, I was wrong. Are we willing to change our life? Are we willing to look at our ideological frameworks and what we wish was true about the world? How we wish we had this freedom to do whatever we want. Because guess what? You can do whatever you want. I can do whatever I want. But we will always reap the consequences of that. Because truth is not subjective, because morality is not subjective, because there are are cause and effect in society all around us. In the world, baked into the world is cause and effect. And when we deny the natural laws around us, when we deny truth, we bump into it. And it hurts. But this is the point. And this is the point that that he made. When we bump into that truth, when we bump into reality and the sharp corners of life, we have a choice. We can wake up to our conscious and say, something is wrong here. Something is not going the way that I want. My philosophical framework is leading me into a place that I do not want to be. When I look at my life and how I actually actually care for my family, I actually care for my friends, I actually care about myself and not dying. I actually don't want to be depressed and suicidal. When When we reach that point, the question is, are we willing to examine our ideological frameworks and our actions from those ideological frameworks. Remember, our thoughts create our emotions, our emotions create our actions, our actions reproduce our thoughts. So what is the framework of our thoughts? 
What are the things that we believe? And what are the fruits of those beliefs? Because in time, those thoughts, actions become behaviors, become habits, become our ecosystem and become our destiny. So when your ecosystem, your habits, your behaviors around you are not lining up with the world that you want because you're experiencing pain and hardship, you're experiencing depression, are you willing to go back to the ideological framework and say, maybe what I believe isn't true? Maybe these frameworks of, of this utopia that I thought that I could live in because I'm pursuing what makes me happy, myself included. I'm talking to myself too. When I'm pursuing what, what makes me happy, but I'm experiencing negative fruit in other areas of my life, or I'm not achieving something that I want, am I willing to go back to my conscious? Am I willing to go back and say, okay, I'm going to reorder my life according to discipline, according to precepts, according to authority, according to sound wisdom, according to living in accountability? Am I willing to reorder my life? And if you are not willing, or if I am not willing to reorder our lives, then we will reap the destructive consequences of our choices, of our actions. We will, and we will bear the responsibility. It, it is uh, prevalent today of people not wanting to take on responsibility. I just heard today um, one of my children, they said, <laughs> this is really funny, one of my children today ate a gummy bear, a gummy worm, took it from his brother's pocket and he ate it. And when we questioned him about it, he said, well, I didn't mean to do it. And now my wife and I were like, what do you mean you didn't? How did you not mean to reach into someone's pants pocket, pull out a gummy bear and eat it? Did someone force it down you? Did did something just come over you and you lost consciousness and you accidentally ate this gummy bear? Don't give me this, oh, I didn't mean to do it. It just happened. It was an accident. No, you are not a victim. We told them this. We said, you're not a victim. You are a powerful individual and you are going to take responsibility for your actions. But so often, you and I, myself included, well, I didn't mean to do it. No, we as powerful individuals and agents of change in the world who want to go out and own the future, who want to live in our purpose, who want to change the world for the better, we must take responsibility, which means we must live by precepts and axioms that are true in the earth. And if we don't know what that is, that is, if we don't know what they are, then we have to start somewhere. And the way that we start is by committing to the process and committing to the journey, committing to the, to the point of saying, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I know the right answers, but I am going to seek out and pursue truth until I find them. Because guess what? 
We want freedom. I want freedom. I want liberty. And the thing that brings us freedom and liberty is finding the truth and living by those laws of nature. Because when we live by the laws of nature, when we live by wisdom and understanding it, insight and counsel, fear of consequences, when we live by these things, we find liberty and we find joy and we find long life and riches and freedom. And that, my friends, that, my friend, is what we all are searching for. So I hope you take up Dr. Richard Reichert's charge to you today. Pursue truth. Pursue truth because that will open the door to purpose, which will enable you to own the future. I love getting your questions. Please WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. If you ask me a question about this episode or any of the other episodes, I will answer them right here on the show. Also, my book, in addition to Dr. Reithart's book, The Death of Humanity, my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this in a time of my life where everything was drifting, where I felt like I was listening and I couldn't get a hold of my life. I bumped into reality. I wrote this book because I bumped into reality and I realized, wait a minute, I have all these frameworks, all these ideas that I thought were going to be true and I bumped into reality and I realized, mm, Something is wrong. So I took time and I went back and I studied, I read, I prayed, and I found a few simple principles that helped me ground my life and actually live in reality so that I could reach my goals and reach my dreams. I said, you know what? I am so committed to wanting to live in the truth that I'm willing to take a season of life and examine what I believe pair that up with my reality to figure out what is actually true. And so I wrote this short 100-page, highly actionable book from that season in my life. The link is in the show notes. I highly recommend it. And if you hate it, guess what? Email me and I'll give you a full refund. That is all for today. Thank you so much for being with me throughout these episodes. It means so much to me. I'd love to hear from you. Even if you don't have a question, you can either email me. My link is on the website or you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I look forward from hearing from you. Remember, I'm Lucas Scrobot. You are a change maker who goes out and pursues and seeks to understand truth so that you can go out and own the future. 